Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we continue our sermon series through this uh, book written by the Apostle Paul to the Roman city around the year 50 A.D., uh, 50 to 55 A.D., uh, when that church was beginning and just beginning to be established. Uh, we have covered a number of issues that this church dealt with. We've seen that they are, uh, are reminded by the Apostle Paul that they're deeply loved by Christ, that they have a high status and standing in Christ. And yet we know as we read through from page one that they had all sorts of issues that they were uh, dealing with. Uh, last week, we looked at the issue of Brandon Robbins, led us through a message through chapter five, a difficult chapter one about how the church should lovingly seek to engage with those uh, in our church body in areas where we're stepping outside of living as becomes a follower of Christ and love one another enough to speak into each other's lives and how a church family really uh, does that with one another. So we we saw that last week and then uh, this week sort of we're seeing the uh, contrast. We saw last week the failure. Failure of the church to address some internal matters spiritually that were significant uh, within their own midst. Uh, this week, we see the propensity of the church to sometimes take minor matters, make mountains out of molehills and take them out into the uh, civil or state uh, litigious system in order to get them resolved instead of resolving them within the church. So we see that contrast between the two passages uh, this week. Uh, The Corinthians failed to to discipline those, we might say, who were unrepentant about obvious sins within their church body. And they took matters that should have been dealt with within the church body out of the church body. And Paul uh, hammers this home for them and for us as we sit today in a very uh, both a litigious and a licentious culture, both a a culture that uh, loves to sue and loves to battle things out in court and a culture that uh, generally relishes opportunities to run away from the Lord in some very obvious ways instead of seeking after uh, the Lord. The people at Corinth, it would seem, are concerned about their own qualifications to serve in adjudicating some of these matters and dealing with these conflicts. And they're struggling to remove that log in their own eye so that they might be able to help remove the speck in their brothers. And so chapters five and chapter six are connected to one another that way. In a sense, the Corinthians are thinking too much of themselves and not enough of Christ in themselves, seeing his power seeing how he wants to work in their midst. And guess what? We do the same. So I invite you to turn with me then and read along silently as I read aloud 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you comp- are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. 
Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food's meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple, is, is the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would bless us in this time of looking at this passage, another one in First Corinthians that we know we need to hear, but it's tough to hear. But help us to receive it by your grace. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I grew up in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, when you had those days home from school where you were feeling a little bit bad in the morning and then. Kind of you had to stay home, but by midday you started feeling a little bit better. And maybe you'd had that, that time off. It looked like a nice thing, but you played with all your toys. You had all the G.I. Joes and all the Star Wars, and you have kind of had all that fun you could. And you got to the middle of the afternoon, and it was in that era. I know young people here, you can't imagine this, can't fathom it, when there were four or five channels on the TV. Four or five channels on the TV. That's not four or five sports channels or four or five Nickelodeon channels. That was the total. And if you were homesick, you got to that point, you know, one thirty, maybe two o'clock. I had two sisters. They weren't home from school yet. I didn't have everybody to pick on. Nothing to entertain myself. And you kicked on the TV and there were one or two things on, weren't they? There were about three channels covered up with soap operas and all that that entailed relationally and intimacy wise. And then there was one other channel, Judge Wapner, Judge Wapner, the people's court. And it was always some folks bickering or arguing and somebody had been in an apartment and they'd lived together in an apartment. And one left early and there wasn't enough money for the rent and it hadn't been paid or they had, you know, gotten together a couple 
friends and gone and they shared some expense and they couldn't resolve the issue. And it was usually like twenty five dollars that they were fighting over. And there they were on TV airing out their dirty laundry and Judge Wapner trying to resolve the issues for them. Well, one set of shows offered a worldly romance. The other offered worldly conflict. And at the uh, time, I must say, it left me longing for Tom and Jerry and Batman later in the afternoon. Today, they both leave me longing for more in terms of the kingdom of God. And this passage speaks to kind of both of those issues, how they spiral around in our lives. We might put it this way, and theres uh, I don't think there's an outline in your worship guide today, but there's a page for the sermon if you want to turn there. You might jot down this main idea. And since we fail to pursue the kingdom of God, since we fail to pursue the kingdom of God, a couple of big words here, in our litigiousness and licentiousness, in our fascination with arguing and fighting and bickering with one another over our way, And in our licentiousness, in our wanting to live free of any restraints from God and thinking that that would be good for us. Since we fail to pursue the kingdom of God in these ways, we should lay hold of our new status in Christ. Our new status in Christ. Well, whether we like to use a big word like litigious or licentious, we know that these things mark our culture, don't they? And they don't only mark our culture, but they pour in to the walls of the church and into our ways of dealing with one another. Uh, The moment uh, money is in play or other things of value to us, it's easy quickly for our Christian convictions to go out the window, our desire to operate lovingly as brothers and sisters in Christ, and for us to immediately go and look other directions for our those issues to be resolved in tandem with this. We see even within our own church body, even in our own souls and hearts, a propensity to throw off the the blessing, the benefits of God's direction, especially as Paul identifies it in the area of sexuality, but also in these areas of greed that he identifies of substance abuse and drunkenness. He refers to there. Of all of these ways. So these are very, very pertinent verses to us, even if the context seems a little bit uh, antiquated, a little bit removed from our own time. Now, before we look at three main points I want us to tackle, we should probably recognize right off the bat. And and I'll say this for the benefit of our attorneys in our midst. But uh, we should recognize that there's absolutely a place identified in Scripture for the, the state and for the legal system. We see in Romans 13, in fact, the Apostle Paul uh, speaks very highly, the same person who wrote this book, of the role of the state and the benefits and blessings of it and the importance of following it. Uh, Jesus, even as he's undergoing his trial and uh, just about to be crucified, acknowledges that those who are uh, judging him, the courts and the high priest and so forth, that they have power 
from above. He says, you, you know, you only have it because it comes from above, but that they do have power from God. We see in the Old Testament with Moses, you remember that story when the, the people of God had grown so huge and they're they're having problems. We're sinful people. So we don't get along with one another all the time. And they're coming to him to help him resolve all those issues. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes and says, boy, you can't handle all these things yourself. You need to delegate. You need to get a wider body of people to, to help solve some of these conflicts. So we see the, the good use, you might say, of a, a sort of state uh, legal system. And we know some issues, whether they're conflicts between corporations or they're conflicts with very uh, intricate legal matters or uh, divorce matters that have been established by the state and need to be undone by the state, that there's a place for the state legal system. So we want to kind of air that uh, first. But, but that's not really the main problem we're seeing here with the Corinthians and that we sometimes see in our own church bodies. And, and that is that they're taking what the Apostle Paul calls some trivial cases, some things that involve uh, minor offenses or relatively minor amounts of money or issues at hand. And instead of trying to get those resolved within the church body, they're running to those outside to resolve them. So we see the first thing in the Corinthian church, and it's easy to have happen in our church bodies today as well, that there's, there's just too much litigation. There's too much outside uh, legal bickering. Look at verse 1 with me. The Apostle Paul says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law, to the civil courts, before the unrighteous? So Paul's clearly saying this isn't the way things should be. He goes on in verse two. Don't you know, he starts to explain why to them. And this is kind of interesting. These are things maybe we don't think about every day, but they're fascinating, fascinating to study. He says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I read that, you know, in preparations for this week's sermon. And I thought, well, you know, I thought about a lot of the blessings, a lot of the areas where we're blessed and elevated through our status in Christ. I really hadn't thought about that. It doesn't, I don't feel like qualified to, to do that. I've been walking with the Lord for a number of years. I don't feel qualified to do it. But look, uh, well, you don't even need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, interesting, from the lips of Jesus to Peter and the disciples. He says, truly, I say to you, this is Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. Truly, I say to you that in the new world, he's talking about heaven. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Interesting. Daniel uh, chapter 7, we won't look there either, but Daniel chapter 7 treats this topic even more extensively. With Daniel's vision of the future kingdom, part of this is this idea that believers would be involved in, in some way judging the world seems strange, right? Maybe it seems a little arrogant for us that know, hey, we've got to remove that log before we try to remove that speck in our brother's eyes. For those of us who know that we are so fallen and broken in our sinfulness and that we've only received grace and mercy from God. Well, this seems to be some of the problem for the Corinthians, too. They said, well, let, let the uh, professionals handle it. Let the authorities out there handle it. We're not going to tackle this because we don't feel we have enough status to to do it. We don't feel we have the qualifications. Apostle Paul says, in fact, in the fact that you're in Christ, you have all the qualifications that you need. 
He goes on, he says here even further, he says uh, in verse three, do you not know that we're to judge angels? I ain't even begin to treat that today in the time we have, but he's saying how much more than matters pertaining to this life. Not only going to judge others, going to judge angels. He goes on and talks about the type of cases that they're dealing with. And then in verse seven, he says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why? Why? Why is he upset about that? That they're instead of resolving their conflicts in the church, seeking the church leadership, maybe to help them work through it. He says, why not rather be defrauded? You yourselves are wrong, are wrong and defraud even your own brothers. He says we ought to view one another as a family. And, and in a family, if you need to, because we're closely knit, sometimes you've got to take a, take a loss. I'll tell you, I, I enjoyed in a, a previous uh, church, I wasn't directly involved with this situation, but I heard a little bit about it, uh, two gentlemen who entered into a business arrangement together. And it's interesting, because the church, uh, not that we wouldn't want to enter into business arrangements with those outside of, of Christ and so forth, but in the church, we have a commonality. We have a sort of inherent trust that's, that's there. That's why in parts of the world where the gospel is flourishing, uh, take China for right now, uh, for presently, uh, business and economic flourishing goes along with it. In some of those very areas where the gospel is flourishing because there's an inherent trust that's built up to where you can enter into certain business arrangements and you believe that the other person is going to follow through. Well, I was in a previous church setting and two gentlemen, I don't remember whether the, the issue at stake was $5,000 or $50,000, but it was enough that they were upset with one another because they'd had an agreement business-wise and it didn't work out. You know, we've probably all had that scenario where maybe you've had somebody working on something at your house and they don't follow through on what they're supposed to do. Or you feel like you've done what you were supposed to do for someone else and they're asking you to keep doing more and they expect you to, but there's not compensation for it. Right. Those things get dicey quick, don't they? Even with people that we don't know how much more in the church. Well, it was fascinating to see these two men who could have easily any one of them, either one of them could have pulled the trigger and just gone to their attorney. They probably had an attorney for their business and, and sought to resolve. But they were part of the same church body. And they chose to bring the matter to a few who were in leadership there and asked them to help them resolve it. And each one of them took a loss. Probably each one of them felt like they were completely right in their their standing, but they had to give something up. The Apostle Apostle Paul saying that here, he's saying, why not just be why not just lose? Why not just take a little bit for the team for the sake of the glory of Christ and representing the body of Christ? So too much litigation is going on. And then. The wrong people are being asked to solve these issues for them. All right. Now, I would say I think I can speak for our church leadership here, our elders and so forth. None of us feels particularly qualified to handle this responsibility either. And yet the Apostle Paul says that we've got this blessed opportunity to help one another resolve issues. And uh, and we don't pretend to do those things perfectly but here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he gives this description of different areas of sin that would likely be ways that the people who were the judges and maybe the lawyers and the juries that you'd be going to in the state, ways that they would be living outside the kingdom of God. He talks about 
uh, sexual immorality. He's there talking about what we call fornication, being involved with somebody in a physical, sexual way outside of, of a marriage relationship. He talks about idolaters. Many of them were probably worshiping at, at uh, you know, temples for false gods. Adulterers, we all know what that means. Men who practice uh, homosexuality. I put again this week the booklet in your, in your pew. And please don't feel like you can't take that little booklet about homosexuality that I put in your pews because it's going to look like you're saying that you personally have a struggle with that by carrying it around. I'm giving it to you because that's a big issue in our culture right now. He goes on and talks about uh, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, those who are caught up in some kind of substance abuse, swindlers, those who are kind of cheating people in business. He said this is the type of people because, you know, especially at this time as the gospel is just beginning to expand in this area of Corinth, the, the, today there might be judge, you know, judges and attorneys and so forth and juries that would be filled, hopefully maybe in Birmingham with well-meaning believers, folks who know Christ and would be able to operate from that perspective. At this time, Paul's assuming there's very few folks in that world. And so he lives through this sin. It's kind of confusing for us when we read. He's like, why is he identifying all these things and saying they can't inherit the kingdom of God? He's just saying outside of Christ, they're not in the kingdom of God. Look with me at verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. So he recognizes the very people in the church were coming from that same background. We're coming from those same directions. But he says, you've been washed. We saw that symbolized up here today with baptism. Cleansed through the work of Christ. Sanctified. Again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians used that term over and over again in a definitive way. Uh, we know we're growing in sanctification as believers, but he uses it in a way of saying you've been declared holy. You've been justified. We've been declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The Apostle Paul is reminding us here that, uh, that we ought to be careful where we go and who we go to resolve our issues. And that we ought to try to have those things resolved in the church. Now, the folks in the church leadership or other people we might go to to help us resolve some conflict, they're not perfect people either. They're struggling with their own sins as well. Well, the Apostle Paul saying these folks outside the church are completely beholden to that, have no other direction in their lives. So why would we seek to resolve those issues there? And lastly, the Apostle Paul talks about a what I would describe as a righteousness that goes beyond what can be litigated, a righteousness that goes beyond what we can establish by laws necessarily. Again, Paul's in a, a pagan culture. We're wrestling with some of these issues in our own culture over what the law should or should not allow. The Apostle Paul didn't even have that discussion to uh, to carry out in the Roman world because many things were allowed that were were very ungodly. But listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And in my Bible, that's in quotes. The reason they put it that way is because folks that have researched it, they think it was kind of a mantra of the people of Corinth and even seeped its way into the church. Because then he says it again. He says, all things are lawful for me. Right. What's what's being said there? I'm a law unto myself. I'm a free person in this world and free to do as I want to. If that doesn't define, if that doesn't categorize uh, our area of Birmingham today and American society today, I don't know what does. Which would be to say I have a prosperity. I have uh, maybe health. I have in myself the feeling that I can do whatever I would want to. Right. 
There's no law that should constrain me. We even kind of abuse our definition of freedom that way. We love freedom in our country. and We're thankful for the freedoms we have. But we we define it as a freedom to do whatever we want to. The Apostle Paul says that's not really what it should be about, our freedom. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. A buddy of mine used to put it this way. He said, I could uh, eat my foot, but it wouldn't be good for me. Right? I mean, theoretically... You know, you and I could, I know it's a gross image before our church luncheon, but, you know, theoretically, we could start chewing. We could do that, but it wouldn't be good for us. The Apostle Paul is saying it's kind of absurd to say that everything's good and beneficial when everything's not. And he goes on, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I won't be enslaved by anything. Here's the twist that, boy, we, we struggle to get, I struggle to remember, and our culture's really struggling to get. We think we're free when we move into sin and run headlong into sinful behaviors. We're not free. Those things trap us, enslave us, and capture us. Because anything else that knocks God out at the center of our lives and and drives us to delight in other things pushes Him out. And so we're losing Him as our focus and falling into those other things. And they're empty. They're like the idols described in Isaiah uh, they're wooden statues. They can't actually deliver on what they promise. I mentioned the booklet on the uh, homosexuality issues. I also put in the worship guide for anybody that or in the uh, end of the pews for anybody that uh, it might be helpful for. I think it's a little bit of a dated flyer, but for the covenant covenant eyes, um, we, we need all the help we can get. That's a system for our you know, web and computers and so forth to try to help ourselves keep. Now, that may not be your issue. You may not feel like you need that. I I talk to folks regularly that have sin struggles in other areas, and I don't really have a struggle in that particular area, so I don't need the same constraints that they do. Uh, For others, though, you you might need a constraint in that area. Get the help we can. It's not a bad thing. It's a it's an honest reckon, reckoning with our sinfulness and brokenness to see that we are easily enslaved by the things that are out there. I've only got a, a few minutes for us to to uh, finish up today. But let me say this. He goes on and he makes a statement. The stomach is meant. I'm sorry. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Boy, I, I kind of noodled over that for a while this week. <laughs> What is that about? What is he talking about? Well, it's, it's meant to go together with what comes after it. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What he's saying there is that we can get in our mindset. And I remember, especially young people, I'll speak to you. I remember in my younger years thinking, all right, I've been like these desires are in me. And God, I know, made me or I think God made me. So they must inherently be good. And the Apostle Paul is comparing it to food, right? You say, I would like something to eat. I'm hungry. And my stomach was, God gave me a stomach, and so I should put food in it. But he says, even that's going to be sort of remade and wiped out in the kingdom of God. How much more, he's saying, is the body which is not made for sexual immorality. That's not the, the thing that we should be putting into our body. It's not the good thing for us. He goes on and he gets very specific here. He says, God raised up, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And then he gives four different connecting points. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ? He says, we've been attached to Christ. 
We've been blessed in our identity to be affixed to the body of Christ. The folks who joined today said that well, we're coming a part of the body of Christ visible and the body of Christ should never. Now, he there's all kinds of areas of sexual immorality we could talk about. But uh, one of the most uh, uh, severe in that culture And it was interesting that he refers to the stomach and food because it was very common, especially for the uh, middle class and upper class in Roman society to go and and have these parties. In fact, when you were 18, it was sort of like you're you're coming out, sort of like some folks today when you turn 21. Right. You know what you go out to, to do or what everybody thinks you should go out to do. Well, these folks, when they were 18, would go and they would eat ridiculous amounts of food. So they'd put all this food in their stomach more than they needed gluttony and then. Some folks would come to visit the gathering, especially for the young men. And there would be interactions that would be inappropriate. And the Apostle Paul is saying this is not the way that believers should live. This is not who we should be because we're joined to Christ. He goes on and he said, uh, says this is written. The two will become one flesh for he who join, is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with them. And then urges us, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but this he commits against his own. Right? We think we can look at whatever we want to, watch whatever movie we want to, read whatever racy or suggestive novel that we want to, and have it not affect us. We think it's going to go you know, straight on through. Apostle Paul says no. That's a false dichotomy between the body and the soul. These things are connected for us, and he's warning us to recognize that. He finishes off this way. Verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That's a beautiful picture, but it's a convicting one. That Jesus is dwelling within us. We're privileged to have him dwell within us. And so in all kinds of ways, not just the ways this passage is talking about, we ought to live distinctly for Christ. And then lastly, uh, you are not on your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price, gave his life to redeem us and rescue us. Let me have us look at one last thing in closing. At the end of your pews is a little uh, half circle diagram. And it says uh, slippery slope, I think, on it. We've got just two minutes, two minutes more here to talk through this. So the Apostle Paul is reminding us in this first Corinthians six of how this uh, soap opera and Judge Wapner world kind of invades our church world and shapes it. Let's come back to the issue of how we resolve things among one another. And this is taken from the Peacemakers book by Ken Sandy. Great material if you've never looked at it. But but getting back to this issue of how we resolve differences between ourselves, the middle, the biggest slice of that, that pie, that big. Piece, piece of pizza that I'd want to grab if that was my pizza. Uh, it says peacemaking. So these are like viable ways for us to maybe resolve issues between one another. Look at the left side of that where it says overlook. He's saying the best way for us to do is realize, you know, we're all sinners. And that person probably didn't mean what they said the way they did. And so I'm just going to let it ride because I know I say things to other people or I do things that I don't mean. So I'm going to overlook that issue. Sometimes we can't do that, though. Sometimes something did happen and we did something to somebody else and we know and we need to go to them or they did something to us and it's significant enough. He says reconciliation is the is the next step where we go and we speak about it. Negotiation, that's where you you've tried to reconcile, but you can't. 
uh, easily. It doesn't happen easily. So you've got to sit down and actually work it out. Maybe there's some more tangible damage that has taken place and you need to negotiate a solution. Mediation, that's where you ask somebody else to help you with it. Arbitration is where you ask somebody to help you and it's binding, right? You tried to get somebody to help you mediate, but it didn't take really. So you need to get somebody that's authoritative and can speak to it definitively. Accountability. That's kind of what we talked about last week with church discipline. We're saying, you know, I've got a conflict with this other person and we think we've come up with a solution. I need the church, church leadership to help me follow through, help both sides to follow through on that. And then interestingly enough, he identifies, which I think is really helpful for us because some of us um, run to conflict and run to attack mode and some of us flee from it and either one can be can be really off base because the escape responses he shows on the left are denial and flight denial says you know what somebody actually did say something or do something to me that's really hurtful but i'm just going to pretend like it's not there because i don't want to do conflict i don't want to have to talk it through and that's actually damaging that actually is unhealthy because it doesn't allow us to work through it in the gospel. Flight means we said we're out of here. I can't tell you how many churches we know of, and we all have heard stories where folks just, instead of dealing with the issues, differences they have as a church body, some group of folks just gets up and leave, right? Instead of trying to work through it in the gospel, escape responses. The attack response, when he says assault, it's interesting. Assault would be uh, maybe just verbal assault. We start to speak badly about one another instead of resolving the conflict. And then we take it to another level, which is the level the Corinthians did, which was, I'm going to take this guy to court. I'm going to go out and try to litigate it. And it's a helpful diagram for me, maybe a helpful diagram for you in thinking about how do we actually live these things out? And there's a lot of principles here I hope that we can take to bear, not just on our church body, but on our marriages. How to resort, resolve the issues in our marriages. How do we seek to resolve the issues among our family, with our children and so forth? How to resolve issues in our business and in our community There's an awful lot here that the Apostle Paul offers to us as we see the hope of the gospel and apply it to these very practical matters for our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the places again as we work through a book of the Bible like this, that it speaks to us about things that uh, maybe we wouldn't have walked in here today saying, well, I need to know something about that. Or I I wonder what the Bible says about how to resolve uh, differences when we have them among one another. And yet there it is in black and white, and we are thankful for it today. And we ask that you'd help us to be a, a more unified church body with places where we need to work through conflict. We'd be able to have confidence in you and do that. And Father, we pray, too, for these matters of uh, not only our litigiousness, but our licentiousness and how these are damaging to the health of the body as well. Father, we've uh, we are members of you. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for each one of us here, all of us probably struggling somewhere or another with the things mentioned today, that that we would get the help, get some folks in our lives, uh, confess to others where we're struggling and that you'd allow us to grow in righteousness for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.